Welcome to Herb W. Morgan's Slaying Bulls and Bears, a podcast about economics, markets, investing, politics, and profit. Every Monday, in less than 20 minutes, Wall Street portfolio manager Herb W. Morgan distills the complex and complicated into the simple and sensical. Here's Herb now. Good morning. It's Monday, August 29th, 2022. I'm Herb Morgan, uh, Senior Managing Director, Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. This is my weekly economic and market commentary. As a reminder, you can follow me on both LinkedIn and Twitter intro week if something um, pertinent should happen in the economy or the markets or the geopolitical sphere. This is available as a subscription. If you are seeing it, you are subscribed. It's published weekly on our web on our website. It is free. If you'd like to get it and you're only listening right now, just shoot us an email, info at efficient-portfolios. Otherwise, if you want to do this without the charts and graphs, you can listen on any one of your preferred podcast formats. Presentation is prepared for use by you. Whether you are an investor or a financial advisor, you are expected to make your own investment decisions. Nothing contained in the presentation should be treated as investment advice no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. This is all purely for informational purposes only. No investment advice is given and uh, the accuracy, adequacy, and completeness of the information cannot be guaranteed. Well, Chairman Powell got tough last week and markets went down. In addition to the chairman's speech at the Jackson Hole Central Bank Symposium, we saw a number of very soft economic data points get released. So you can see negative across the board, lots of red in the equity markets, but one, look at that, emerging markets up a half a percent last week, led by China. Remember we have a position, uh, an overweight position in China within the emerging markets, because in my view, it's because uh, China is in an easing phase and is in the process of stimulating its economy easing from a fiscal and monetary policy stance while the developed world is finally coming to grips with the fact that they need to tighten in order to contain inflationary pressures. So nice to have that diversification this week uh, while we saw a sea of red in U.S. equity markets. Interest rates nudged higher as well. That drove the aggregate bond index down 36 basis point, high yield down about 1%. So what did he say? Uh, at Jackson Hole in his speech that caused the markets to really start to uh, roll over. Well, to quote my friend, my fictional friend, Daniel Day-Lewis, Daniel D. Day-Lewis, he said, the war's over, man. Wormer dropped the big one. And Dean Wormer, in this case, is Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell. He's the boss, he's in charge, and he finally dropped the big one. He got tough on inflation. He gave a short speech because he wanted to make one point and one point only, and that is he'll do whatever it takes to rein in inflation. Interestingly, he finally chose to do this at a time when uh, inflation data is starting to roll over and economic data is starting to soften. He said, restoring price stability will require a sustained period of below trend growth and a weaker labor market. And that labor market is still very, very strong, folks. While interest rates, slower growth, and a softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation, they will also bring some pain 
to households and businesses. So he officially turned in his Dove card, which he has proudly carried now for a number of years. And he has said, we are going to rein in inflation. Interestingly, that's when the market sort of the, the sort of the, the talk on the street here is, hey, Wall Street finally got the message. Well, okay, why Wall Street finally got the message. Let's take a look at some of the economic data from last week. The flash readings for manufacturing and services, that means they come in towards the end of the month, even though the month ha hasn't ended. Manufacturing represents 15% of the US economy. S&P Global says we still expanded 51.3, below the estimate of 51.8, lowest readings since July, uh, second straight month of contraction for output and employment fell. So this is, is this disinflationary or is this inflationary? Well, clearly this is a disinflationary reading from the perspective of this is showing a reduction in moderation, I should say, in aggregate demand. From the services side, we got below the line of delineation of 50 for the second consecutive month. We haven't done that since the recession that we had in 2020 related to the COVID shutdown. PMI went to 44.1. That's, that's, that's contraction and well below the estimate of 49.8, lowest reading since the COVID-related shutdown. And prices charged, an inflationary, directly inflationary inflation reading indicator, dropped, fell to 60.2, lowest reading since March of last year, still not below 50. Uh, keep in mind, these are flash readings. The final readings will be out this week. Durable goods orders were unch, unchanged. You're expected to go up. Uh, held back by a massive drop in uh, defense uh, aircraft orders. That's normal that because they're such large orders, they skew things. And so we look at them X transportation. In this case, durable goods actually rose for the second straight month. When you look at the graph here, the bar graph here, you don't see a lot of negative months uh, since that, that shutdown. Normally you see a lot of, uh, you know, volatility in this, in this reading. So interesting. Residential real estate has absolutely hit a wall and that is disinflationary as well because real estate prices and owner's equivalent rent, one of those things that have been driving inflation uh, numbers and then inflation expectations. New home sales dropped over 12 and a half percent. They're expected to go up two and a half after a massive 7.1% drop in June. The pace now is down from a million annualized new home sales down to half that, to 500,000 annualized. That's the slowest it's been since early 2016. And I really think this is one of the reasons why, despite the Fed saying, we're gonna raise rates, we're gonna tackle inflation, the market is efficient and the market sees the demand cooling and sees the slowing. And that's why uh, the market, the futures markets still say that we're going to begin cutting interest rates as early as the spring as early as potentially the spring. That's what the futures markets are betting on and, and predicting. Pending home sales, that's existing homes, fell 1.1%, uh, 1%, 1%. estimate was about two and a half. They're down 22.5% from a year ago. You remember how just white hot the residential real estate market was? It's not anymore, it's cool. That's helping bring some of the inflationary pressures out of um, out of the economy. But the labor market still is showing itself as strong. We're going to get the JOLTS report, that's job openings this week, tells you how many job openings we have versus how many unemployed people we have. 
And I can tell you, we have a lot more openings than we have unemployed or even marginally employed or even employable because maybe they can't pass a drug test or a criminal background check, or maybe they just can't make it there on time. We hear a lot of that. Weekly initial jobless claims fell uh, 243,000. That's a pretty darn low number. Remember we had been kind of going up and I said, hey, the Fed will say the labor market's softening when we get above 300,000. Well, we're not getting above 300,000 is what's going on right now. So the labor market's still tough. That is still showing strong inflationary pressure. We had second quarter GDP report. That's the first revision. It was originally reported minus nine tenths. Now it's minus six tenths. Personal consumption was actually revised higher. Remember I said, I really don't think this is a recession. If personal consumption is growing, goods spending is growing, uh, that's not a recession. We're softening to be sure, no question about it. But inventory, negative inventory builds brought, the, brought that down. So those two negative quarters, not a recession, not a recession at all. The other thing that was reported last week, and this would be the one that kind of blows your socks off, is uh, corporate profits. After-tax corporate profits rose 10.4% in the second quarter. This is why the stock market really rallied through that earnings season. Nobody could believe it. Everybody thought earnings were going to start getting hit. You know, and earnings can be very levered into... Um, can be very layered, levered into uh, market movements, you know, the operational leverage associated. So you, when you get a recession, even a mild recession, you can see corporate profits drop 20% or so. Um, but corporate profit margins actually improved, improved in the first quarter. And that was the biggest gain in, uh, in since 1950. So from the Fed's perspective, we've got corporate profits are fine. We've got labor demand through the roof. We just have to contain inflation. And what, what Chairman Powell did last week with that speech was pound the table and finally try to convince everybody. And then, of course, the market, you know, the levered players in the market that whip things around. They're not long-term investors like us, but they moved things down, hit the sell button. That rolled through on Friday and even into uh, the beginning of uh, this morning on Monday, uh, Monday, August 29th, 2022. Um, in addition to that, we got personal income is up two tenths of a percent in July and spending was up one tenth. Again, you don't get a recession uh, without the U.S. consumers saying so is the bottom is the bottom line here in the, in the U.S. Um, then we got some favorable news on inflation. The core PCE price index. This is the gauge that the U.S. Federal Reserve uses to measure whether or not they're getting the job done. In July, prices actually fell. So it was deflation. It was just a tenth of a percent. It was just a month. But they're still, you know, 6.3% higher than they were a year ago. The core, which is the red here, which never got as high as the headline, which is driven by food and energy, core prices rose a tenth of a percent. This graph only shows the year-over-year, -year, and the year-over-year -year gain is now down to 4.7 from north of 5. That doesn't mean the Fed's going to step off the brake, pat the brake pedal here as it relates to slowing the economy. They're going to continue. But I do think once the initial sort of anxiety and panic related to the speech last week uh, wears off and people start looking more at the data and see the reality of the slowdown, how it is happening, um, then and then and the inflationary pressures are waning, uh, then I think 
you know, some sort of bottom will probably be found and be in. Consumers actually were a little more optimistic. Their sentiment rose as reported by the University of Michigan's uh, reading in August. Went from 51.5 to 58.2. That's a pretty big jump, still well below the 100 where it would be if we were sort of optimistic. But it says perhaps, you know, what, what drove this? Well, gasoline prices have come down considerably uh, and that's making people respond more favorably to that survey. The other tool that, the, of course, the Fed has in containing in uh, uh, containing inflation is uh, besides just short-term interest rates, but it's amount of liquidity in the system, and they they they, uh, they influence the liquidity in the system uh, by buying bonds, which puts more money in the system, takes the bonds out of the system, or letting the bonds mature, or selling them, which takes money out of the system and shrinks their balance sheet. This is a graph of the Fed's balance sheet, which you can see shot up here during the COVID crisis. Massive monetary stimulus. I said at the time, and I keep saying it, is that we overstimulated. We overstimulated on a monetary basis and we overstimulated on a fiscal basis, and that creates inflation. Last week, we saw an announcement that the US government wants to stimulate more on a fiscal basis in the face of inflation by forgiving student loans. That's money that would normally be spent to pay down loans. We'll go back into the pockets of consumers, will be spent again, and that will actually contribute modestly on the margin to inflation. But the Fed's liquidity is starting to moderate. It's rolling over, you can see it there. The balance sheet is only down $94 billion from the peak, which is literally nothing. But starting September, balance sheet runoff accelerates to 95 billion per month. And the European Central Bank, the Europeans who have been committed to just massive amounts of fiscal and monetary stimulus as well, now they're finally starting to look at inflation. And unlike the US, where we've seen some inflation numbers roll over, they continue to spike higher in Europe. I mean, significantly higher. And so the Europeans are now going to have to tackle that. So that will also put some disinflationary pressure into the global uh, situation. This week, we've got plenty of economic data starting tomorrow, more home price data from FHFA, Case-Shiller, Consumer Confidence, the JOLTS report, which I mentioned. The big ones this week are Wednesday's ADP employment report and Friday's non-farm payrolls. They're both predicting about 300,000. You've got the final readings on uh, manufacturing and uh, services from both S&P and from ISM, along with the Ward's vehicle sales on Thursday. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back to you again in one week. Thank you for listening to Slaying Bulls and Bears. If you'd like to download the slides for this week's podcast, go to www.efficient-portfolios.com and join our mailing list. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate us online, and share with a friend if you found this helpful. See you next week.